right. All right, we got to start over. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so anyway, for the recording, we are going through good works in our Sunday school, uh, the 1689 Confession of Faith. And so, let's begin with a little intro. If you remember, last week we talked about repentance, repentance unto life and salvation. And so this week we're talking about good works. And if you remember, the last section was completely rewritten. Are we seeing every... Oh, I'm trying to read my... I amended it. I can't remember what it said there, but it's, boy, I sure did a good work today. I think it's a good job at work. That's what it said. It's not a bad word. I know it's... <laughs> um, but this section, there's no changes from the Westminster to the Savoy all the way to the 1689. So you can see that among the Protestants, among the Reformed, there was a massive agreement in how we were to handle good works, as opposed to the Catholics. So... We're beginning a little bit of a new section. We're still in that covenantal section of the relationship of God to man. And we've just finished what we would call the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation. So we looked at effectual calling, and we looked at justification, sanctification, um, repentance. And now we're moving towards, all right, you're saved. You're a Christian. Now what? How now do we live? So now we're going to talk about good works. We're going to move to talk about perseverance in the Christian life. Talk about something as important as our assurance of salvation. Um, the Christian's relationship to the law in light of the fact that we are saved. So we're still in that covenantal from chapters 12 to 21 or something like that. That covenantal framework, but we've moved from the order of salvation now towards the Christian life. How now do we live? And so within that section, we have the chapter on good works. So we got a lot to get through today. There are seven, sorry, seven sections in this chapter. And it begins with the question, what are good works? Before we talk about good works, we have to define what they are. And so that's what the confession begins with. It writes, good works are only those works that God has commanded in his holy word. Works that do not have this warrant are invented by people out of blind zeal or a pretense of good intentions and are not truly good. So we know from Scripture that God is goodness itself. Right? Uh, Mark 10.18 talks about, that's when Jesus says, hey, the Father, God, He alone is good. And so if God is good, then He alone gets to define what goodness is. That's really important as we look forward through all these seven sections of the chapter. That God defines what a good work is. Because He is goodness itself. And so, where do we look to find out what works are good? We look to Scripture. And this becomes important in the context of the Protestants as they were uh, debating and distinguishing themselves from the Catholics who were adding works, um, who were adding good works to Scripture and to the Christian life. They were saying, here's the traditions that we have laid down, and these are good works. And we'll look a little bit more into what they defined as good works. But we would understand as Protestants, as Reformed, that good works are limited to what God has said in Scripture, and that He alone gets to define those. We don't get to define those. So, an important passage, you can follow along, along on the screen or open your Bibles, is to Mark chapter 7. 
And this is Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees and he's approaching them based on, hey, the, the Pharisees have just approached Jesus saying, why have your disciples, why aren't they washing their hands? And it was, it was due to a tradition that the Pharisees had. And this is Jesus' response to them. He says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given or dedicated to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So, Jesus, he's not mincing words here. He's coming right at the Pharisees and saying, hey, there is this understanding in Scripture that God has commanded that um, you are to leave an inheritance, or that you are to, sorry, not leave an inheritance, that you are to care for your elderly parents. There's this rule of thumb, right? We're not just supposed to neglect our parents. And all the parents in here are like, yeah, you hear that? What's your kids? You're supposed to take care of me. Um, when, I'm, when they're old, when they're um, retired, when they're not able to work. And there were unfortunate young individuals that were trying to get away from that. Right? So they would, what they would do is they'd say, okay, well, if I dedicate it to God, then I don't have to give it to my parents. And the Pharisees would utilize that because they'd say, well, we're getting more money, right? Because you're dedicating it to God, you're dedicating it to uh, the temple or to the Pharisaical work. And, again, they're getting around that scriptural command to take care of your parents, to honor your parents. And so Jesus calls them out for it. And so we see here the clash of this man-made tradition that the Pharisees have made of something specifically in the Word of God that's clear, to honor and to care for your father and mother. So this, Jesus basically gets right at this point, right? Good works are defined by me. And me alone and traditions of men cannot uh, be over the commandments of God. We see this also in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. If you guys want to turn to there. Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. And maybe I can get a volunteer to read that. And I've got a lot of options. Sam, you looked at me. You want to read it? Sure. Colossians 2, 20-23. Oh, which Sam? Sorry, Sam Slate. Whichever it. Sam wants it. You or you got it. Sam Hammett, go ahead.
Alright, so we have Paul right in here in Colossians. And again, he's not mincing words. He's saying that these human precepts and these human teachings, they have indeed the appearance of wisdom. And again, you think of your context, Protestants and the Catholics, right? The Catholics did a lot of things that might have appeared holy, appeared wise. Um, They were man-made self-religious. And yet, Paul says here, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So again, he puts it in in light that these Catholic um, inventions and additions and traditions that they were adding to the scripture of being good works, that they were claiming to be good works, are of no value. No value, right? They just appear spiritual. So, we've seen the identity of good works positively, right? Only what God has commanded, and negatively, not man-made traditions. So we'll move on to our next section. That's our first one. we got six more to go. So here's my question to y'all to wake you up this morning. Are good works necessary for salvation? Yes, the good work of Christ. Say that again? Yes, the good work that Christ did. The good work that Christ did. Okay, so yes, they are necessary. The good works of Christ. Yes, Ben? Okay. Ben was going to say the same thing. He wants to stamp the record. Yes, Pastor Nathan. What do you mean by salvation? That's a broad term. Great, yes. What do I mean by salvation? So, both Catholics would say Protestants disagree with this, right? They would say good works are not necessary for salvation. But Protestants would say no, or sorry, they'd say yes, good works are necessary for salvation. So in this sense, we do agree with the Catholics, Right? Christians agree good works are necessary for salvation, but the question is, what do we mean by salvation? Right? Do we mean the legal justifying salvation, right? where we are stamped as being righteous with the imputed righteousness of Christ? Or do we mean, mean hey, the Christian life is going to be characterized by good works if we are regenerated by the Spirit? And so, yes, if there's no, if there's no evidence of good works... Right? then we can safely say, hey, you're not saved. So, this is the question that the confession answers. I don't have to answer it. Surprise. The confession answers it. And much wiser than me. So, chapter 2, or section 2 of chapter 16 says, Good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruit and evidence of a true and living faith. Through good works, believers express their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, build up their brothers and sisters, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the malice of opponents, and glorify God. Believers are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, so that they bear fruit leading to holiness and have the outcome, eternal life. So this is where the Protestants would disagree with Catholics, and they say, good works are not the grounds, they're not the instrument of our salvation, but they are the fruit. They come after justification, logically. So good works don't save us. We don't need good works to save us. But after we are saved, we will undoubtedly do good works. So you can remember that by saying they're the fruit, not the root. And you can see my helpful pictures up there. 
Um, it, sorry if you haven't had breakfast yet. It might make you hungry. What did you say, Kim? Yes, I know. Why is it? I always have bananas in my slideshow. At least they're not like, you know, too ripe or anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be the answer, right? Are good works necessary for salvation? Yes. But we have to define what that salvation is. So we'll, we'll get to a little bit more of that, right? Because the confession doesn't just stop there. It continues going and defining what we mean. But we see here, too, that there are six reasons that the Protestants give for good works, right? If good works don't save us, what do they do? What's the purpose? Right? We don't want to say, all right, well, I guess we're good. We can just go live however we want. We don't want to go that far. So we have to say, well, when, what do good works do? What do they accomplish? And the confession answers that. It says we express our thankfulness to God. It strengthens our assurance, which we'll talk about later um, in, the, in the confession. There's a whole chapter on it. Uh, we build up our brothers and sisters, specifically in the church. This is what we're called to. We adorn the profession of the gospel. This was important, right? Because if, if Christians are not known, we'll mic switch. Is it on? Yeah. Um, if Christians are not known by their good works, then in some respect, what's the point, right? Because we, we wouldn't want to be, hey, here's what Christ did for us, and we're going to live the same way, right? That doesn't, that doesn't sound good. That's not a good profession of the gospel. We're not being light and salt of the earth. And so we adorn the profession of the gospel. We stop the mouths of opponents. We don't want to give our opponents any cannon fodder, any, any evidence that like, hey, why would you care about the gospel? Because that person just lives terribly, right? They don't help anyone. They're selfish. They just care for themselves. And then ultimately, the ultimate purpose, as with everything we do, is to glorify God. Right? That, that alone should, should be the answer. Right? If we can glorify God through our good works for others, then that alone should do it. We don't need anything else. But God has been gracious to give us many other reasons to do good works. Some that are important for us that are in some respects self-centered, like assurance. Right? Good works aren't just outward. They're also inward, and they build up our assurance. Any questions so far? Any Burning questions. Yes, Cody. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. Almost like God gives us the church in order to do good works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Pastor Nathan. Yeah, it's a great point. I'm going to piggyback on that in the sense it shows the dichotomy, the difference between contrast between Roman Catholic view of good works and whether the Protestant Reformed view of good works. Roman Catholic view of good works are largely self centered in every respect. And sadly, modern evangelicalism reflects Roman Catholicism more than we might be because there is an inward bent focus. Uh, inward on ourselves with regards to good works. Mm-hmm. It's all about me and my walk. It's all about me and my growth. It's all about me and my God. Um, whereas the Protestants really try to recover the fact that good works are for your neighbor. Remember, uh, I say it all the time that Luther, God doesn't need your good works. Mm-hmm. Your neighbor does. And that's the reason, uh, or that's what we've been called to, is for the good of the neighbor to do our good works. And that's an entirely powerful focus. Following, of course, Example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, and that Luther quote sums it up right there. Right? God doesn't need our good works. And you think about that and you're like, yeah, duh, right? He doesn't need our good works. But that's the Protestants were refuting the Catholic claims that maybe the Catholics wouldn't say it that specifically or that um, poignantly, but they would, they would have doctrine that sort of lends itself to that view, which we'll look at further. So, speaking of the Catholics, um, the Council of Trent has an anathema against this very statement of the Protestants. Uh, Canon 24 says, If anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be an anathema. So, that the Catholics have, have made their bed in basically saying, like, look, like, you know, we might, we might disagree on this, but they are going so strong and so far as to say that if you believe that good works are merely the fruit, then you are anathematized, that you were kicked out of the church. And they, they might soft pedal the anathematization, but it is, if you're kicking them, uh, individual, out of what they claim to be the true church, you're basically condemning them. So the Catholic Church claims that good works preserve. And are the cause of our increase in our justification. The increase, or the, they preserve it, and are the cause. And that ultimately makes good works necessary for, you know, not even salvation, but justification specifically. We need good works to stay justified before God. So chapter 4, I thought this is interesting because I was like, well, let me look at what, what's their definition of justification? And it would say, here in the bold, it's a translation from that state wherein man is born a child of the first Adam to the state of grace and of the adoption of the sons of God through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we, even if we look at just the Catholic doctrine and we try to understand, okay, well, how are we preserved and what's the, what, how do we have an increase of our translation to the state of grace, right? You either not in a state of grace, or you are, are in a state of grace. How does that increase? Right? And think of the word adoption there. Right? How do we, why do we need to preserve our adoption? Is that really adoption? So you're seeing some of the, the, the mixing up that the Catholic Church does, right? If there's adoption, why do we have to preserve it? And how do we increase? We're either in a, a state of fall where our first uh, federal head is Adam, or we are in the state of grace where Christ is our federal head, right? Can we switch back in between the two? 
Um, so that's what's at stake. And again, that's the, that's the pastoral bent of the confession, that we can say, hey, you are, uh, you are supposed to do good works for salvation, absolutely. But that's not the grounds, it's not the instrument of your justification. Very, very important. Any questions? Yes, Dick. I think it's, it's saying the translation from the state where a man is born to the state of grace. But, are, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They would say you were innocent yeah, at birth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there would probably be some, some differences even in that definition. I mean, I don't think this isn't the only definition of justification that they have. They often confuse justification with, they would say justification includes sanctification includes the process of being more holy, of infusion of righteousness that we have to build up. So I would say from this chapter 4, it's saying that the translation is from man being born and he's under the federal headship of Adam to that state of grace. That's how I would read it. Does that answer your question? Or maybe a little... <laughs> I think maybe I'm not understanding your question right. Um... But let me, let, me, let me ask this question. Can we merit grace from God? I'm seeing some, some head nods. Ah, so Jonathan says, if we could merit grace from God, then it's not grace. Yeah? Jonathan right? I mean, of course he is. But <laughs> Romans four. Yes, yes. What are we justified by? Our works of the law, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Eileen's saying, if we were to receive grace, right, then it wouldn't be the work of God ultimately. Yes, Pastor Nathan. Oh my goodness, yes. So it, it doesn't God give grace to the humble? Yes. Yes. So the, the, it is it's a, it is an interesting question, right? Because we might say, okay, well, what do you mean what do you mean by merit? What do you mean by grace? Um, so in terms of justification, right, we would say no. You can't merit more grace, right? You're either justified or you're not. You can't merit more of that. And so, section or chapters 4 and 5 of the Confession. Did I skip 3? I did skip 3. We'll come back to that. Um, the limits of good works. Alright, so those who attain the greatest heights of obedience possible in this life are far from being able to merit reward by going beyond duty, or as the Catholics would say, supererogate, um, to go beyond what God commands, or to do more than God requires. Instead, they fall short of much that is their duty to do. And this is the defining sentence right here. We cannot, even by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life from God's hand. 
due to the huge disproportion between our works and the glory to come, and the infinite distance between us and God. By these works, we can neither benefit God nor satisfy Him of the debt of our former sins. When we have all, when we have done all that we can, we have only done our duty and our unprofitable servants. Since our good works are good, they must proceed from His Spirit. And since they are performed by us, they are defiled and mixed with much weakness and imperfection, that they cannot withstand the severity of God's punishment. So this would be in terms of justification. Right? Can we merit God's grace in terms of justification? You're giving me a puzzled look. Do you agree? Or? Yeah, but I think And I was getting there, man. Now I feel good. <laughs> um, yes. So, like Pastor Nathan was saying, right? That this is where the Protestants were—they were fighting against this idea that there was a treasury of merits, that there was things that we could do to kind of increase our merit and increase our grace with God. And so we'll, we'll get to Luke 17 in a second, but it says this treasury um, includes as well the prayers and good works of the Blessed Virgin Mary. They are truly, this is bold, this is a bold claim. They are truly immense, unfathomable, and even pristine in their value before God. Can you imagine standing before God and thinking, my good works are pristine in their value before him. Right? I don't think that would hold water when you actually stand before God. I don't think you would be bold enough to claim that. Um, and I think, man, I should have, I should have wrote it down, but there is a, a quote by, I think it's St. Ambrose, where he's like, at the end of the day, when you stand before God, you, you again, you bring nothing. Nothing. Um, and, and if someone was so bold to say, hey, here's what I did, they couldn't even do that before God. They would just start shaking um, in fear. And they would say at the very end of this catechism question, in this way they attained their own salvation and at the same time cooperated in saving their brothers in the unity of the mystical body. So as much as the Catholic Church might, you know, they might nuance justification and say, well, it, it involves, it's a progressive Justification, it, it involves sanctification as well, right? You've got to persevere through the human life, right? But then they say this here in their catechism, that these saints and Mary have attained their own salvation. Right? We don't see that language anywhere in Scripture. That is, that is completely outside of Scripture, and completely outside human reason and what we know about God. If God is holy, how can we stand before him and be like, yeah, I've attained my own salvation because my works have been pristine in your eyes. So lots of issues there. Let's look at Luke 17. If you guys want to turn there. Luke 17. What was really important for the reformers was understanding that the context of our good works. And this answers those questions. So Luke 17, starting in verse 7. It's the parable of... The unworthy servants. 
It's a short parable. It's not, I don't know if it's a parable, but. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the table, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what is commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. So here's the context of good works, right? We understand in the Old Testament, right, there was a constant refrain, do this and live, right? Adam was supposed to... uh, do this and live, right? He was supposed to uh, be free from sin. He wasn't supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was boundaries to how he could act, right? And if Adam didn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, did he necessarily deserve to get God's praise and reward? Not necessarily. He still didn't necessarily deserve God's praise and reward, right? He just did what was commanded. And he's a creature. He has to do what is commanded, so it's, it's like us going before God and saying, yeah, I know you said do this as part of an agreement for creating us, and yet, and we did that. Therefore, we think we should get rewarded past that obedience, past that command, commandment. And God could say to us, well, that was your duty. That's just what you were supposed to do. Why do you expect more? So that's what Luke 17 is answering. Um, Jesus' words there. And we can understand, right, that eternal life is a gift. And we see this here in the confession. Eternal life is a gift. It is not something we earn, right? It is our duty. If, if God was to recognize that we have fulfilled the law, he still is not obligated to give us eternal life, right? He's just, maybe he won't smite us right there and then, right? Because we've done our duty. But to gain something of reward as great as eternal life in the presence of God himself, that has to come by a gift. It has to come by grace. So Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. So we see this foundation. That's just one verse, but all throughout Scripture, right, there's this understanding, right? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, really solves this whole problem, uh, I think, right? You could, if you look at these three verses, you could solve the whole good works discussion. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, because we would, right? If we, if we were saved by works, we would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the distinction, right? In these three verses, we see uh, salvation, we see justification as a gift, and the reward of eternal life. And then we see, okay, now that that's been given to you, God has also prepared good works for you, that we should walk in them. So there's the distinction, right? You don't want to, the Catholic Church has switched that around. They've put in good works before the salvation, before the reward of eternal life, right? If you do this and this, then you won't spend so much time in purgatory being purified for your sins. Then you will attain eternal life. Whereas the Reformed, I would say the biblical understanding, 
is that we achieve and we uh, have a eternal life secured for us at the moment of salvation. And then we do good works while on earth through God's spirit uh, that he's prepared beforehand. Any questions in regard to Ephesians 2? Like I said, I think, I mean, the Catholics kind of make fun of Protestants here because they, you know, we love going to this verse, but I think it's so clear, right? They're like, oh man, he's going to Ephesians 2 again. Yeah, but I mean, how much clearer could you make it? So I got a couple quotes from John Chrysostom, right? So you're not thinking, okay, this is just some, you know, idea that the Protestants came up with in the 16th century. Uh, Yes, shout out to the Eastern Church Fathers. I know I got a couple fans in here. Um, So John Chrysostom says, faith's workings themselves are a gift of God, right? He's echoing scripture, lest anyone should boast. What then is Paul saying? Not that God has forbidden works, but that he has forbidden us to be justified by our works. No one, Paul says, is justified by works. That's pretty clear right there. Precisely in order that the grace and benevolence of God may become apparent. Righteousness, not thine own, but that of God. For you do not achieve it by toilings and labors, labors, but you receive it by a gift from above, contributing one thing only from your own store, believing. All right, so he's getting at the fact that, like, you have faith. Repent and believe. There is nothing else required, right? And then this, this quote um, by St. Ambrose. The just man, though he be tormented in the brazen bull, it's a Grecian torture device, I'll leave it at that, it's terrible, is still just because, and that's my fault, terrible misspelling, because he justifies God and says, I suffer less than my sins deserve. So the truly just man, even if he's suffering in this terrible torture chamber, right? And if he was truly just, he would say, look, this is terrible, but God could do worse to me. He would be justified if he did worse to me, right? I don't see that humility and that confession in the Catholic Church, right? Where you can achieve a treasury and merits and have things that are pristine before the face of God. Um, So I don't... you don't see that the Catholic Church, again, always claims to have tradition on their side, but we see here fourth century Eastern Church fathers who are like, no, absolutely not. We can't bring anything of merit. We can't merit grace before God. Any questions? Yes. Chrysostom was. Um, what's Ambrose, Milan, and Chrysostom? Where is he from? Oh, is he West? Ambrose is West. Chrysostom is East. So there you go. Got the whole globe. Covered it all. Um, all right, so there we go. We see that. Oh, yes, go ahead, Melanie. Yes, that's a good distinction, right? So Chris Awesome says, we contribute one thing from your own store believing. Um, now, again, this is a, a quote taken from him, but faith and repentance are gifts of God as well, right? We don't bring that necessarily, right? We have to be regenerated. We have to have a heart of, of flesh given to us. So absolutely, great distinction there. All right.
Here's my next question. Are our work are our works ignored by God? Does God care about our works? No, they're not. Kem says no, they are not ignored. To the church in Smyrna, right? Yes, in Revelation, right? Uh, Jesus writing to the church says, I know your good works, I see them. Jonathan? Pastor Nathan is going to say, on the basis of justification, (laughs) (laughs) predictable. So he's got to get it out now. <laughs> so I should be wary about calling on him, is what you're saying? Yeah. No, but that's important. Jonathan's pointing out a good, a good uh, thing, though, right here. It is, is, does God look at our good works in terms of justification, right? Is, is he weighing the balances? Or is he looking at it in terms of, well, what Christ has done? Is he looking at Christ's work for us? That would be the imputation of righteousness. So I would agree with Kem. Oh, yes, go ahead, Dick. As he asked in chapter 12, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Say that one more time. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God will bring everything into judgment. And in my house, I Yeah, so there is some respect, right, at the final judgment where our works are, you know, analyzed or whatever. Um, and there's plenty of views on that. So there is some respect where we are going to, like, the scripture does talk about there being rewards for our works, right? Um, but the question is, in terms of, right, justification, it is whose work matters for justification? Is it Christ's work and his merit for us, or is it our work? And so in that respect... He does ignore our works, and in other respect, he does analyze and, and uh, examine, like you said, Dick. Yes, go ahead, Louis. So then, does he ignore uh, air quotes good works that are commanded in the scripture by Christians who have a saving faith in Christ? Oh, interesting. Because the saying, these are what good works are, right? Yes. So we have to differentiate. So then, would he ignore air quotes, right? Good works. Yeah. By those who Well, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, you probably wouldn't ignore them, but you probably, in, in some respect, condemn them, right? I mean, if we're even if we're saving Christians, but we're doing something that we think is a good work, but it's clearly not in Scripture, then yeah, I think it. Not only would it be ignored, but it would be like, no, you got to stop doing that. So yeah, I think that's a great question. Yeah. But ultimately, doesn't God look at the heart? Yes. In that sense, it's not so much the outward action mm. that he is concerned with, uh, but the heart of worship and adoration um, in, in which we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Mm. That's good. And that's where the confession goes, right here in section 6. It says, well, at, very, at the very end, right, it says those, well, I'll just start from the beginning. Nevertheless, believers are accepted through Christ, and thus their good works are also accepted in him. This acceptance does not mean our good works are completely blameless or irreproachable in God's sight. Instead, God views them 
good works, in his Son. And so he is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere. So that's getting at what Pastor Nathan's talking about, uh, if your heart is bent towards uh, him. Even though it is accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. So here's, here's where the, the already not yet of the Christian life uh, comes in. That we are declared righteous before God and we can go do good works. And we'll talk about uh, why Christians can do good works. Because they have, well actually, we don't have much time so I'll get there right now. They have the right manner, the right motive, the right goal, the right purpose. So Christians can do good works. But as we know, right, they're always mixed with a little bit of sin, right? There's things that we do, and there might be a little bit of a selfish, selfish inclination behind it, right? We're not perfect in that regard. Um, but Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Um, so we think that because we are unified with Christ, that there's some element where our good works are accepted through Christ. Again, not to merit any more justification, um, but they're a pleasing aroma before God. I think that's how the scripture puts it. Um, Romans 12, right? We are living sacrifices. So how we act and what we do is replaces that sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And it's, a, again, that pleasing aroma to God. And then moving right along, we, we almost finished um, section 7, the right manner and the goal of good works. So, we address, what about the works of people that are not saved? Works done by unregenerate people may in themselves be commanded by God and useful for themselves and others. Yet they do not come from a heart purified by faith and are not done in the right manner according to the word nor the right goal, the glory of God. Therefore, they are sinful and cannot please God. They cannot qualify anyone to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect is even more sinful and displeasing to God. So here's, it's interesting because the Catholic Church does have this distinction between works or, or penance that can atone for temporal punishment of sin, right? And we would say there is some element to that. Sin has temporal punishment, right? When you sin, there are consequences for your sin. And this, this is getting at that right here, that even unregenerate people might do good things, and they probably will because they know that there's going to be less consequences for them if they do good things. Right? They might give to charity. They might not lie in the courtroom. Um, they're not going to do things that are going to you know, get them sent to prison, right? Because there are consequences for our sin. And yet, they're not truly good works, right? They don't have the goal of glorifying God. And so we see how the confession continues to be God-centered, right? Even our good works, they're created by God beforehand, and they're meant to glorify God. So the good works... Un- unregenerate, unsafe people do, go- do civic good, right? They'll do good things, um, but they don't have the right goal. They don't have the right motive. And they don't have the right purpose to be what we would say is a truly good work. And so that's the blessing of the Christian life is, you know, once you are saved and Christian, you can do good works in a lot of respects because the Spirit is working in you to bring those about. Um, 
So that's, that's where I'd say the Catholic Church, again, just gets really confusing because they say you can pay for penance for the temporal punishment. And I'm like, well, of course, sin has consequences. There's no way the Catholic Church can guarantee that there's no temporal punishments for sin if you do the right thing, right? If you lie on your taxes, the United States is going to come after you. Like, you know, you can't just say, oh, I'm sorry. The Catholic Church said I'm good. They're not going to accept that. Um, They'll probably take the Catholic Church's money. So, Any last questions? We're actually right on time. Or comments? Or more Eastern Church Fathers quotes? No? All right, here's my concluding thoughts, right, to sum everything up. Because, right, that was seven sections, so that was a lot. Um, God defines good works in Scripture, not man. Right? The traditions of man are not good works. We can't create good works. Super important. Right? You see that the Catholic Church defines good works as pilgrimage, as praying the rosary, of penance, indulgences. Right? And so they continue to add. And, and frankly, we do too. Right? We, can, we can blast the Catholic Church, but there's many times where we add good works. Right? We say, well, this is, just, this is the right way of doing things. Right? Um, and we forget that, hey, we need to stick with what Scripture says and let conscience define some of those gray areas. Um, good works are necessary for salvation. So if a Catholic you know, says this, you can say, yeah, I totally agree. Um, but like Pastor Nathan was getting at, right, in terms of justification or sanctification, in terms of our legal standing before God, or in terms of the fact that the Christian life is going to have the fruits and evidences of good works naturally because Christ is working in you. And we must always remember that obedience is merely our duty, right? It doesn't, it doesn't qualify us to get rewards beyond what our duty is. Um, therefore, we cannot achieve a treasury of merits before God. Hopefully, I didn't shatter anyone's bubble this morning, right? Darn, I can't get a treasury of merits. And God accepts our works through our union with Christ, through faith in Christ alone, um, only through, sorry, let's just say, only through faith in Christ alone can one do good works. Um, there's so much more that, that could be said in that note, right? Like, how does our union with Christ affect the Christian life? And really, that's the stream that runs through this whole confession, throughout the law, throughout assurance, throughout perseverance, and here in good works, right? Is we are unified with Christ, and that affects, um, it, it, it secures our standing before God, and it does affect our life temporally in good ways. All right, with that, we will finish right on time. Gotta love it. Let me uh, pray, and we will uh, get to the worship. Father, thank you for uh, blessing us with clear scriptural uh, commandments about um, how we might do good works, that um, we are not lost, we are not um, searching around in the dark trying to figure out um, what is good, but we know that you, Lord, are good, goodness itself, and that if we follow your word um, written down here in the commandments of the Bible, that we might um, please you, that we might thank you, that we might serve our neighbor, love our neighbor, and love you. Um, but Lord, we thank you that we don't do those things in order to um, merit our, our, our justification, that Lord, we know that Christ has paid the price for that, that you don't see our 
filthy rags of righteousness, right? But you see Christ um, instead of ours. And so, Lord, that, that's um, the gospel, Lord. We thank you so much for that precious truth um, and that precious reality and that we might go forth and serve our neighbor and love our neighbor and, and our church and do that not out of um, a desire and, 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 and the hard hand of trying to um, avoid your wrath, but know that we are doing that through the work and through the love of Christ who, who is unified and lives in us, Lord. So we thank you for these precious truths. In Jesus' name, amen.